Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Beat live from London Colney, uh, a bumper edition today. I'm joined by Art de Roche of The Athletic, Sam Dean of The Telegraph, Dan Matthews from The Mail and Kai Kainak of Football London. I think there's only one place to start and that's with you, Sam, about your Martin Odegaard exclusive that would have dropped online this morning and will be in Saturday's Daily Telegraph. Give us a, f- a feel for the man, the, the captain of the, of the club that, that you cover on a regular basis and, and how it went. Uh, well, hopefully people who read it will think it went well. Um, he was, as I think most people can imagine, sort of very um, articulate, clearly very intelligent guy. He was good company uh, and I really enjoyed it and hopefully shed a bit of light on his sort of mentality and his career and the slightly strange footballing journey that he's taken. Um, it's interesting talking to him about his sort of childhood and obviously being 15 and playing first team football um, and me sort of trying to ask what that was like really. And the, obviously the honest answer is it's all he's ever known. And he doesn't know, it's not like you suddenly 18 and then suddenly make it. It was, it was pretty much his whole childhood was about football and then it became very public and that was all he knew. Um, so I don't think it's easy for anyone to articulate what that was like. Uh, and I don't think he gives it much thought, to be honest, understandably so, because it's just a life he's, he's lived. But yeah, as you say, it's on the Telegraph website now and will be in Telegraph newspaper tomorrow, hopefully. So hopefully people out there can log on or buy the paper and enjoy it. You say hopefully there. I assume there'll be a lot of Pep Guardiola in tomorrow's papers. We've just all been here with Mikel Arteta talking about those, well, attempting, shall we say, to talk about those potential Manchester City charges uh, Dan, were, were you surprised or were you expecting Mikel to be a bit closed about, about the whole thing? Uh, I was not surprised. I mean, there's very, li- there's very little, uh, maybe, maybe this is a bit harsh, but sometimes it can feel like there's very little Mikel Arteta does want to open up about. So it was not at all surprising that with a, a subject as kind of controversial and I suppose a, a bit of a minefield um, for any manager, it was not surprising that he didn't want to get drawn into, um, to, into it. I mean, uh, I feel like he's on a bit of a hiding to nothing, nothing he can really say at this point is going to a make a difference or I suppose he would he would think be to his advantage um Arsenal are five points clear with a game in hand they play City next week he could easily have made a comment that you know could have to, to, to coin a bit of a football cliche you know that could be put up on the Man City dressing room next week instead he gave us much to our frustration but I suppose, uh, as we predicted, didn't give us anything, and he's he's not given Man City or anyone any fuel. Not that he would have, obviously, because of his loyalties, I suppose. But um, yeah, he he gave it the straightest and biggest bat I think uh, was possible. Oh, a lot of what he spoke about was about Man City, if it not of the charges and the game that's coming up on Wednesday. But there wasn't much lip service paid to Brentford tomorrow. But just how big a game is that tomorrow, given given the City games on the rise and the fact they lost at Everton last week. I think momentum's been quite a massive factor in Arsenal's season so far. When you look at how they just kept winning games in the first half of the year, they were almost, it seemed like they weren't really thinking at times. And now they've had their first proper kind of blip, obviously two two losses on the bounce in all competitions with the City game and the FA Cup, if we're going to count that. Um, and I feel like a lot of people probably feel like Brentford will be a tough game because they know they have the experience of the opening day of last season. But um, personally, me looking at it, I feel like the fact of 
it being at the Emirates after two defeats, I think that'll be a massive ad advantage for Arsenal. We've all seen how how loud the Emirates got um, over the past 12 months and you almost need to hit the reset button and I think being at home uh, where you are going to be challenged um, because Brentford, as we've all seen, have performed really well against the big six teams this year. Um, I think it's got the kind of ingredients to be quite a good game and I think a lot of the kind of discussion in the week since the Everton game has been about how how good the response has been um, and we've seen that happen before when they've had kind of losing runs. I remember at the start of last season um, when they lost three on the bounce and then just before the Norwich game Mikel, Mikel Arteta came out and said he's probably had the best week of his managerial life which seemed quite strange but we all saw what happened afterwards so I reckon they'd be hoping for something similar. <laughs> One thing that uh, Martin Odegaard said in an interview I did with him was that... You interviewed Martin Odegaard? <laughs> that's right, that's right. Um, he said the first couple of days of training after the Everton defeat were among the best days of training he can, he can remember at the club. So I think that says a lot um, about sort of the mentality and, and the way they are so desperate to bounce back and, and the shift from previous seasons when they would... I think as Kaya asked Mikel after the Everton game... Um, Mikel Arteta, I should say, um, <laughs> after the Everton game, um, about it being the case that Arsenal would often lose one, and then it became a, a run of three or four um, over previous seasons. Um, and, and this year, their sort of desire and willingness to fight that is hopefully for their side of things um, different. Kai, we talk about reboots and resets and refreshes and things like that. Do you think you might freshen things up with some personnel changes against Brentford? Yeah, we were just discussing that now. Um, in the press room before before coming on on live and uh, I guess the the big sort of point of discussion was at right back where Ben White's had a poor couple of games taken off at half time against Man United didn't play against City wasn't very good against Everton as well gave the ball away a lot um, didn't contribute much to the attack defensively fine but I don't think Everton really came forward that much to, to cause him too many problems but I wonder if Takahiro Tomiyasu for a game like this might be the, the sensible pick. Obviously, Arteta said, and you'd expect him to say this, that they're not thinking about Man City, but Arsenal do have three games next week and maybe he'll look to rotate a, a little bit. I, I don't know if, if he'll look to rotate that much, but if you're looking at areas where Arsenal might have a weakness, I know Arsenal have been really good from set pieces this season, but against Everton, they really struggled. And Takahiro Tomiyasu is fantastic in the air. Ben White is less good in the air. So maybe that just points to him being the, the wise choice for a game like that. You look at the base of the midfield, if Thomas Partey isn't fully fit, although I've got no reason to assume he isn't, maybe Jorginho could come in, but I'd be surprised if we saw that. The other one is maybe Leonardo Trossard instead of Gabriel Martinelli. Personally, I think if you look at Brentford's back three, they're all quite big, cumbersome guys. They're not the most mobile of defences, and someone like a Martinelli is the kind of guy who can cause that a lot of problems. So... I'd look to keep Martinelli. I didn't think he was that bad against Everton. I didn't think he received that much support and he ended up isolated on the left a lot. So maybe that would be the other change. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Trossard play, but I think if I had to back one change, it would probably be Tommy Asu in for White just because I think right now that makes the most sense. Set piece goals 
back to back league games they've conceded set piece goals obviously United at home and then Everton away so that's becoming an issue I would say in terms of that defense or he stuck he stuck almost steadfast to that back four all season D does it serve him well sometimes to yes Ben White I think we all agree is he's struggling but sometimes you best serve just to stick with what's what you've got so far and what's brought you this far I think it's easier to do that with centre backs we we all know uh, Gabriel and William Saliba have started every game together and Arteta himself sees that as the partnership um, so with centre backs I think that's fine it's when I guess with fullbacks, it becomes a bit easier to just chop and change. We saw he did it um, in the Liverpool game at home um, this season where Tomiyasu played uh, left-back uh, ahead of Kieran Tierney. So I don't think he'd be scared to make those changes. And also, um, going to the Man United game that Kaya mentioned, I was personally quite surprised that he made that change at half-time because... Um, if we think back maybe three, three or four years, um, everyone got used to Unai Emery making half-time changes and it almost became a thing of, okay, if a game wasn't going well, why is Arteta taking so long to make those changes? And it's quite refreshing to see um, him make that, that change with White and Tomiyasu at half-time against United. So, um, yeah, personally, I, I don't really see it as an issue. Um, especially because uh, it's not like Tommy Asu's coming in as someone new. He knows what goes on. Um, and we saw um, how sound he could be last season as well. So you just hope he could kind of uh, pick up from there. And he did quite well against United too when he came on. Do you remember that culture war during Emery's first season when... <laughs> There was like the the pro Emery camp were like, look at the way he changes games at half time. He's a he's a tactical genius. And then the anti Emery camp were like, yeah, but the team's crap for the first forty five minutes. I can confirm. I was at Villa Leicester last week and he made two half time substitutions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were because they were losing and they lo they lost by more. But yeah, so that that is an issue, isn't it? I was just going to stray into dangerous territory and um, disagree with Art de Roche, but um, uh -oh. I, well, I, I'm tempted to say that actually, it's, I think historically he is correct that we talk about centre-back partnerships and it, it seems simple, or at least more simple, to, to change the full-backs. But I actually think in this Arsenal team, the, set, the, the full-backs have been so pivotal, pivotal to how they play this season. Obviously, we all know about Zinchenko's quality and actually... Ben White has struggled in the last couple of games, that's clear, and that's clearly something that Arteta has to consider. But his relationship with Saka and the way where he positions himself when Saka's got the ball has been vital to, to Arsenal. And I think it's no longer a case in this team and the way Arsenal want to play to simply say, oh, you just bring Tomiyasu in for White or you swap you know, Zinchenko out or whatever. I think that that's a reflection of both how well they've been playing um, but also just the way in which Arsenal are set up now, that they, those positions are actually quite fundamental to how they play. Kai, you mentioned Gabriel Martelet. Do you think he's getting a bit of a, a hard time? He, he, I don't think his performances have dipped. That if, if your bar has been so high for the season, you have a little blip, maybe the same with Ben White, there are going to be questions. But he hasn't fallen that far down, down has he really? I don't think. No, I don't think so either. I, I, don't, I think of the two, if we're picking on two names, then White's probably been the worst of the, of the two. But I think... Hey, name, Kai. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> 
A drop off for Martinelli means that he's not scoring, you know, every other game, which he was, I think, not too far off in the early part of the season. I think he's someone who is missing Gabriel Jesus, and the link up he had with Gabriel Jesus was a big part of why he was such an effective threat in the early part of the season and the way he drifted central. Jesus would drift wide, and um, I think we all noticed on on Saturday with Eddie standing so central for most of it and not maybe moving as much. And Eddie and Ketch has been fantastic since he's been in the team. But I think maybe Jesus would have made a big difference. And there was all that chat about, you know, is Nketiah going to take Jesus' starting spot in the team? And when you look at how Martinelli's form has, you know, dropped off if, in sort of air quotes, if you like, but I wouldn't say he's dropped off massively, but you, you sort of start to see what an impact Jesus has on the team. And if he were to come back in, I wouldn't be surprised if Martinelli's form were to pick up. Again, not that it's dropped off massively, but I think, again, this is a good sign of the Leander Trossard signing in general and the fact that Arteta has the option to do that now. Before, he would have had to play Martinelli no matter what. And if you go back to that Newcastle game at the start of last month when the only player he could bring off the bench was Tommy Asu. Now, if he wants to, we don't think Smith Rowe's going to be fit and Arteta has said Nelson's not going to be fit. But assuming those players are you know, close to fitness, then suddenly Smith Rowe's an option, Nelson's an option. Trossard's an option and the bench looks a lot stronger and he has these decisions to make which is what every you know it's a cliche but every manager wants these kind of headaches so I think you know it's it's positive I think if, if Trossard comes in and does well then great but I don't think you need to press the panic button on Martinelli just yet I think he's he's got a lot more to give. I'm going to upset you now what because um sorry everyone's going to upset you um I'll burnt your copy of Hogwarts Legacy um copy as if you've got a copy is it oh you bought the oh there you go I, that's why <laughs> I don't know if we should get into this now, um, but I prefer physical copies, so um, that's why I didn't pre-order the version that came out on Tuesday, uh, until Friday. What well, man after my own heart, though, to be fair. It's like, you shove your Kindle up your arse. Um, what I was going to upset you about is Eddie and Ketia, because I think the moment Gabriel Jesus is anywhere near ready to go back at that team, he, he comes straight in, doesn't he? I, don't, I think... Eddie's goal has been great, but Kai, you touched on it there. And just they're just a different animal going forward with with Jesus in the team, aren't they? Art. <laughs> I don't mind that argument. To be <laughs> fair, like if we're if we're just looking at it, um, I think Enketi's proven to everyone what he can do. Um, not many people would have expected him to perform how he's done. And personally, looking at it, I feel um, just. Vindicated. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, right? But um, looking from, from last season, you, um, you could see the elements of his game coming. Um, and it was just nice to see that, okay, at the end of last season, he got a run and proved himself. This season, he got a run as well. Obviously, not in the way everyone would have wanted, but he has proved himself again. Um, the, what... Um, Kaya's mentioning in terms of Jesus's link with Martinelli. I think it's similar to what Dan mentioned about White and Saka, where we've got to a point now where this Arsenal team aren't just 11 individuals on a pitch. Every player kind of has um, an effect on the other one. So you've got loads of different units across the pitch, like uh, centre-backs William Saliba and um, Gabriel then. White, Saka, and I'll include Erdegaard in that because they're quite a nice triangle together. Um, and then you've got that one um, that probably, m I don't know if I'd say matters most, but um, Gabriel, uh, Jesus, Martinelli, and you may 
include Xhaka in that too. Um, so I do kind of uh, expect Jesus to be back starting when he's properly fit. Um, but the good thing is Arsenal and people who follow Arsenal now know there is a, a very good option there for when Jesus is unavailable. Yeah, no need to rush him back, basically, is there? Hogwarts, <laughs> not Hogwarts, and not crumpets or Pokemon either. But there were quite a few. <laughs> there were quite a few questions in the press conference about another striker on Arsenal's books, Florin Balogun. Of course, let's go down the road. Let's go down that road. Uh, top scorer in League A, League A. Uh, obviously, scored more goals than Messi, Mbappe, and Neymar, which is pretty good. Pretty good. Um, playing for one of the most young. Uh, and exciting managers in European game, who Daniel Matthews can probably tell us a bit more about. But the question really for Arsenal, and, and obviously Arteta does not have an answer for us today on that, is what they do with him. Um, and I, I, I'd, I'd love to throw it to the room to see if people think he will stay or be sold or be loaned again. My, my guess is they're probably going to sell him. I'm going to um, offer the theory that another member of the Arsenal pack who shall remain nameless, suggested, and I'd like to see what people thought, which is that they should bring Balogun back next season, loan him to another Premier League club with a view to selling Eddie Nketiah the following summer and installing him as Arsenal's number two. Strike. I, I think there's, there's too many moving parts. <laughs> well, I'm going to completely agree with you because that was my theory. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but to, to the original question, I guess, um, Shanta... Kaya and Charles Watts about this I don't really see any reason why um, from an Arsenal perspective he can't be kept um, around for like Champions League nights and stuff like that next season the the big thing is whether he'd want to do that um, I feel like this season almost in a similar way to Nketiah last season it's been about him <laughs> showing everyone what he can do and putting himself in the strongest position come summer, and he's done that. Um, so, yeah, I, I just feel like it's a really interesting time um, for the Arsenal front line. And if I was, <laughs> if it was me who was manager, um, I feel like top teams need more than just two strikers anyway. If two of them have come from the academy, and you've spent 45 million on another, it's not that bad. Um, but as I say, um, Balogun's probably gonna, gonna want a, a word for himself in that um, debate as well. We can say that Art interviewed Balogun in December. Uh, November, but it came out in December. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, and you can read that on The Athletic, right? Yeah, thanks for the plug. <laughs> but, but, but what I mean is like, you actually know what you're talking about on this subject, which is more than, uh, me, yeah, always. Um, that's why I ask the questions. Um, the one question for you, Sam, I'll put to you. Is the issue with Balogun, if the club decides to sell him in the summer, who buys him? Who's got the money? He's going to command a big fee. You've just said he scored more goals than Messi, Neymar, Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, Enketia, Pele, Eusebio. 
they're going to want a lot of money for a striker like that. Do you sell him to a Premier League rival? Do you hope that a foreign club that's got some money comes in for him? Or are they almost stuck in limbo if, if they decide they want to sell him? I can envisage, um, given his age and his potential, a slightly lower, le lower level Premier League team, like a mid-table or, or lower, or even like a promoted side, putting down a fair amount of cash for a player like Balogun. I mean, it reminds me a bit of the, the Joe Willock move to Newcastle, which obviously came after a run of really good form from Willock. And it was, it was a case of, of Arsenal selling high when his value was high. Willock's been on, gone on to do very well for Newcastle, so that's not, that's not meant as a, a dig at him at all. Alex Wobey would be another one. They, managed, they got good money for a player that was playing well. And I know Everton are struggling, but he's actually had one, been one of the high points of their season. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just because those players are doing quite well doesn't mean that it was bad business by Arsenal. I think, if anything, those two have been among the best sales they've made in the, in the past decade, really. Um, so I, I can see a world in which the Arsenal view Balogun's current form and think his value is the highest it's going to be, especially, obviously, the longer they go into his contract, the harder it will be to get a big fee for him. So this summer strikes me as the obvious time to cash in, if they're going to cash in. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if Arteta chooses to look at him very closely in pre-season and, and see if he can really challenge Nketiah and Jesus next year. Just on Art's point about big teams needing three strikers, I'm going to complete the panel and, and annoy Art by saying I, I disagree. In I, I think if you look across... Um, in terms of the three out-and-out centre-forward, number nine type strikers, not that you know Jesus can play on the wings, Eddie can play on the wings, and Balogun can play on the wings too, but I think you look at City, they have Haaland and Alvarez, uh, Liverpool have Firmino and um, Nunez, and I suppose Gakpo as well, but not really an out-and-out striker. Manchester United have Veghorst and Martial. Exactly, <laughs> the, the example everyone should be following. <laughs> but um, the point I'm trying to make is, if, if you're, I think to be a third-choice striker, um, at that age, for Balogun, it's, it's so important for him to be getting minutes and he wouldn't get those consistency of minutes um, if he was to come back. So I think I, I'm going to propose a solution which has very few of the problems but all the good things. Um, maybe a bit pie in the sky, but if, if you can find a team that's willing to insert some sort of buyback clause or some sort of first refusal type thing, maybe for a slightly lower fee, but you have the option if Enketia decides to move on in a couple of years' time or if Arsenal decide they do need a third number nine, then you can maybe bring it back. And that's the kind of, I guess, deal that, w without blowing my own trumpet, I think it'd be quite a smart move to, to do that. Uh, blowing your own trumpet would definitely be a smart move. Uh, I think, well, yes. That's uh, another conversation about energy sucking. Um, but, yeah, I've, that's totally thrown me. I'll tell you what, I'll save you. Energy sucking, you mentioned there. We haven't touched on that yet. Mikel Arteta, one of his questions was, how do you cope as a young manager in a Premier League title fight? And he said, it's all about energy. I'm an energy giver rather than an energy sucker. What did he mean by that, Sam? I think... I like this, this is really going to go offbeat now. and this is <laughs> the, the listeners, all one of them, are going to have to turn off in a minute. The Arsenal offbeat. Yeah, the Arsenal offbeat. So uh, I'll try and be succinct with this. Um, Mauricio Pochettino had a, had a theory about energy as well, and he used to keep lemons in a bowl in his office because his belief was that the lemon would drain the negative energy from the room. And I actually kind of, not, not with the lemon element of it, but I do kind of agree with the concept of energy and like the mood and the vibe that people bring to a room. And it's something unquantifiable and unscientific. And I think in football, it's something that's real and discussed 
and the kind of thing that a manager like Arteta would think about. Um, and certainly watching the Amazon documentary behind the scenes, you can see that Arteta is quite an energetic person and, and wants to convey that. Um, so I can see why he would describe himself as an energy giver. I think some journalists in the room might say that during press conferences, he doesn't always deliver the most energy back, but that's, that's fine. That's part of his job. We're very much the lemons in the room. When that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's fine. That's part of his job, and he has to be careful in here, and, and that's totally cool. Um, but yes, I think that's what he means, that some people drain. And you know, going back a couple of years when there were players at Arsenal who weren't featuring, who didn't particularly want to be at the club, and... Arteta didn't want them to be at the club, I would imagine that he would have viewed them as energy suckers. And I think we could probably guess a few names on that, but it's not really our place or the right time to do so. The Dementors of the squad. We're back on Harry Potter now. Which, weirdly, is how I was going to close. How, oh, we've kept you away from your, your lovely Hogwarts Legacy game. So what I'm going to do with these three is they're all going to tell you what house you're going to be. And whoever, whoever gets the most votes, I'm hoping that we've got the power of the Arsenal beat will dictate who you end up... So... Right, just one word answers. I don't know really much about Harry Potter, but I'm going to go to you first, Kaya. Oh, man, I also know nothing about Harry Potter. Um, the one I know is Gryffindor, so Gryffindor. Nah, he's pure Ravenclaw. Art's definitely Hufflepuff. I mean, does that leave me the deciding vote? I tell you what, I'll say Slytherin, and then it actually is up to you, because you've had one from each. Right, I didn't think we'd end like that, but we have. Hold on, Sam wants to say something else. Maybe one day we should like put each Arsenal player into a house based on their personality. I can feel the next pod special coming on there. Art, <laughs> Art you can present it. Uh, what should, will you be playing this on Twitch? I don't know what Twitch is. Potentially. Um, What's your Twitch handle? What is it? It's, I think it's just AJ DeRoche. There you go. For anyone, any like-minded fans there, go and follow Art playing on Twitch later. I don't know what that is. It's easy argument. Yeah, exactly that. Right. Yeah, memes and they are Kindles. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us. We'll be back on Monday with a look back over the Brentford game and a look forward to that massive potential Premier League title decider at home to Manchester City. Stay safe.